Welcome to Kim Knows Nothing. Ow, ow, ow. You don't, you don't have to make a sound yeah, effect. Yeah, I, I regret that. I yeah, you that. don't have to. I won't. You have a sound effect board that you can use. I know, but I felt it in my heart. I know. I was I, excited. Just next time, no. Okay, that's fine. That's fair. So, so that's Kim over there. And uh, remember a few weeks ago where I was like, I got you a Christmas present. I'm going to introduce you. Yeah. And then I forgot about it. Yeah. And that's Stacy over there. Thank you. You're you welcome. did forget it, and I knew you Happy forgot Christmas. it. Thanks. I remembered that you forgot it last time, but <laughs> I didn't say anything because I was like, "That's this selfish asshole. of me. I don't need to be introduced." <laughs> I was driving home. I was like, "Oh man, oh man." Next time. Well, I'm glad you felt bad. Yeah, I felt really sad. Thanks for the intro, Kim. No problem. I thought it was great. Yes, it was very good. So here at Kim Knows Nothing, you probably already know this because you're one of our avid fans. People mm-hmm. love us. Clamoring uh, for more episodes constantly. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, I research a true crime story. Mm-hmm. And Kim, who isn't the biggest fan of the true crime genre, doesn't know Very as much scared. about it. She's scared. She's dumb. She doesn't Very know dumb. much. I, um, I always mispronounce the word corporal. Well, how often, are you, how often are you using that word? Often enough for me to be like, that's not how you say it. Wow. <laughs> what do you say instead, like corporate? Um, you know, I don't even know right now. That's mm. how I have to read it. And then I'm like, ooh, that's not right. Corporal. Yeah. I can't imagine any scenario where you're using that word. Often. Reading it. You don't, you know, when I leave here, <laughs> you don't know my life. <laughs> You do, though. And I do. it's not that I, impressive. I, I do but know your s- life. for some reason, like, corporal is a word that I come across <laughs> often. I don't know why. <laughs> uh, Kim knows nothing. Nothing. <laughs> nothing. So I tell her a story. She reacts. She's got sound effects. I do. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Excuse you. The sound effects are really lifelike. <laughs> they are. <laughs> Um, all right, and that's basically it. <laughs> I don't know, I gotta explain I don't it know if time. we even explain it. It doesn't matter. It's like, um, that trivia HQ game. Yes. It's like, you, I guess you have to explain it, but people know by now. People know. Yeah. I get the alerts for it, but I don't play anymore, because I just feel like some of those questions are so obscure that the people that are getting them right are getting them right by coincidence. I oh for sure you know what I mean like I, I and maybe to, some people are but it hardly I don't know I tried to trick it by um, <laughs> holding it up to Alexa oh and then asking her yeah and she Alexa still, I don't was think like, she answers. I didn't understand and I was <laughs> like oh Alexa <laughs> and then I feel like the first couple questions are really easy mm-hmm. just to make you feel like oh I can do this yeah and then they throw some curveball random so obscure question that I just eh I don't know I'm not as interested I can't I. I would play if I could, but I'm not getting the uh, notifications now. Yeah. So I should turn off the No thanks to Trivia HQ for not being a sponsor. Right. Also, I'm not like, the show is literally called Kim Knows Nothing. Like, nobody, right. the, the odds of me winning are so <laughs> far against me. Unless they're about pop culture mm-hmm. or celebrities. If they were like, we have 12 questions they get harder as we go. Yes. But they're all about Chicago PD. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, fucking nailed it. <laughs> you would totally win. Yeah. So this week, our story is about a murder. And just scientifically speaking, <laughs> would you say that we would be hashtag talking birds on the cast? 
Yes. You looked at me so creepy when you said that. You like tilted your head all weird. I felt my face. That was weird. (laughs) My face felt creepy when I did it. That was weird. I'm sorry. It was like you were trying to be like an old timey Batman villain or something. Just like looking at me with, I'm just weird. I'm I'm sorry that happened. Um, yes. So, yeah. Murd's on the cast. That's, Love it. That's what Kim says. Yeah, that is what I say. That's what fans say. That's what everybody in the world says except for you. <laughs> you won't say it. That's true. Yeah. Um, all right. So, this one actually involves violence against children. So, I want to give you that heads up. Oh, God. Not good. We don't like it. Listeners, that warning also goes for you. Just a heads up. I try not to pick stories that are too... Um, heinous, because I personally, even though I, I am interested in true crime, there is a line that sometimes I don't like crossing where yeah. it gets too heinous. Some stories are a little too much for me to handle. Mm-hmm. I know we talked about like literally a cannibal, which is messed up, but there's this stuff, especially if it's crimes against children, I get upset. This yeah. one is very upsetting, um, but it's just different. It, it, so it's, there, it's violence against children, but... Um, Anyways, I try to keep it so we don't get too... I try to keep it a little bit. Not light. Cool. Uh, but even I can get upset. Cool. Yes. I It does put me in quite the pickle. <laughs> yeah, it does. Because you're here for comic relief. <laughs> yeah, I certainly am. And <laughs> yes, what a indeed. bummer. <laughs> All right. So this story is um, actually about a murder of five people. It was an entire family that it was called a mass murder. Oh, woof. Yeah, so... Um, it's referred to as a mass murder because, according to the FBI, when four or more people are killed with no uh, what's called a cooling off period in between, that's called mass murder. So, mm. like, a serial killer isn't a mass murderer because there's a cooling off period in between each killing. It's not all at once. Gotcha. You're going from house to house different days and, and committing the same type of crime. Mass murderers, it's all one location and they're just killing, killing, killing all at once. So what happened was there will be five murders in this story, which is very sad. Okay. Um, so, okay, so our five victims were Joni Harper, her three children, and her mother. Okay. Pretty sad. Joni was 39 years old. Her children were six-week-old Marshall James. Oh, fuck. Four-year-old Marcus Jawan. <sighs> And two-year-old Lindsay Michelle. That it, that's the part that really makes me upset. They're very little. They are so. Oh yeah, gosh. it's really upsetting. And Joni's mother, who was there in the house with them, was sixty-nine-year-old Ernestine Harper. You know, that's an interesting name. I've never heard that before. It is a very unique name. Hmm. So the date of the killing is presumed to be July 6, 2003, um, because it was two days later on July 8th that they were found dead in their home in Bakersfield, California. Oh man. Again, another uh, California story. Yeah. I'm not doing it on purpose, I swear. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so um, it's in Southern California, 110 miles north of Los Angeles. So it's like if you're going up the 5 freeway, going to San Francisco, something like that, you might go through Bakersfield. So in 2003, when this crime happened, the population there was about 267000 And the medium income as of 2016 was about $59,000. So it's kind mm. of like middle class, lower middle class, you know, just... Um, and crime is actually kind of high here compared to the national average. Um, Bakersfield ranks higher in violent crime. And the neighborhood where uh, this family lived at the corner of 3rd and P Street was a close-knit African-American community. But it was known to be a little bit rough. And even though gang violence had recently gone down, it was still a fresh fear in people's minds. Okay. So 
we'll talk about who our victims were. Um, we have Ernestine Harper. She was the grandmother. She was born on March 27th, 1933 in Corsicana, Texas. Kim's been to Texas. I've been to Texas so many times that I literally have a Texas tattoo. Wow. Yeah, you do. I do. <laughs> After you visit Texas a certain number of times, it's the law that you have to get a tattoo. You can't go back in. Right. So I landed in DFW. Yeah. And they were like checking my papers. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I'm just here. I have a stopover in Fort Worth. And then I'm actually driving into Austin. And they were like, fantastic. Where's your Texas tattoo? And yep. I was like, oh, I don't have one yet. And they were like, you've been here <laughs> 10 plus times. You actually are overdue. So they they did allow me to go in. I went to Austin. Good. Um, but I did have to. I was only there for 13 hours. And mm. I did have to get in my Texas tattoo during that time. It's a good tattoo. I like it. Thank you. So Ernestine Harper, she was the third of six children. And in 1961, she relocated to California, moving to Bakersfield in 1964. Uh, she was a devout Christian, attending church regularly. And she was also active in her community Volunteering her time and advocating for those in need, she worked with troubled youth, gang members, ex-gang members, helping them with tools for rehabilitation and advocating also for like civil rights. Um, and she oh, had man. she had five children. Her youngest daughter was Joni Harper, um, who was our next victim. Uh, Joni Harper Brothers, that was her, Brothers was her married last name. Okay. She was born November 14th, 1963 in Bakersfield. And um, just like her mother, she was a devout Christian who went to church with her mother regularly. Joni was a talented basketball player. She was a standout player in her high school years. And in her adult years, she was an official in adult leagues. Um, like she would referee and she would officiate. Officiate. She would referee. Ref. Referee. Yeah, for <laughs> yeah. adult basketball leagues. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she was employed as a campus supervisor for the Bakersfield City School District. That was oh, her Oh, cool. Job. Yeah. Okay. She was married to Vincent Brothers, and they together had the three children I mentioned before, mm. Lindsay, Marcus, and Marshall. And Vincent was, he was vice principal at John C. Fremont Elementary School in Bakersfield. And at the time of the crime, Vincent was actually away. He was on a trip in Ohio visiting his brother when this happened. I'm super bummed already. Yeah. Because I just feel like this family, nobody deserves to get murdered. No. We start with that. I, I don't know yet the situation, yeah. but this there is a lot of people that get murdered that certainly don't deserve it. And yeah. it's really, it's a tragedy no matter what. But when, uh, it's just such a, I don't even know what I'm trying to say. Like, it's I'm just sad. super bummed already. It's this so family sad. just seems really amazing. And he's a principal. Yeah. And he's, he's gone to visit his family. And like, she's working for the schools and her mom is a civil rights worker and i get to, i just it's just it's all around very sad, sad. Yes. i mean you can give nothing back to society and be murdered and it's still awful but when you think yeah. about like when this woman was born and being in texas and and what she probably did in texas and then mm -hmm. coming to bakersfield and just really bums me out it's already it's sad i was having a great day before by every the way. time before you come here to record you're having a great day yeah then you show up here and it's just all downhill. It's all downhill from here. I should know that by now. You should. <laughs> so on Sunday, July 6th, uh, 2003, Joni, her mother, and the children had attended church in the morning as they normally did. And it was six-week-old Marshall's first visit to church with his family, uh, which is <laughs> Kim's making the saddest <laughs> family. I'm so sad. After the service, they went out to eat at Black Angus. Oh, man, and they had delicious food. I know. Shout out to Black Angus. <laughs> um, and then they returned home to lie down for naps. 
And later in the I evening, I love this. I, I know, right? I, it sounds like a perfect. I'm life. like so into this family. I'm so bummed already. They're just so sweet. This sounds like the greatest day. Like I love that they all took a nap. They all took a nap together after just going to church. I love it. Like eating like, doing a good great things. lunch. I know. They were just like, we're tired. We're gonna take a midday nap. Yeah, I love this. So later in the evening um, of that day, they had planned to attend the evening church service. Oh wow! Yeah, they're very devout. That's serious. Yep. And as the family was napping, an intruder entered the home through a back door with a twenty-two caliber pistol. Oh God! This is gonna. This is a little grisly. It, I'll just say it to you quick. So okay. Joni, she had been shot first. The mom, she was lying face down um, as she slept, and she was shot three times in the head and twice in the arm. Next to her was six-week-old Marshall, who was shot in the back, which is sad, little baby. Oh. But he was asleep. She was asleep. Um, and also in bed with her was two-year-old Lindsay who had been shot in the back. Four-year-old Marcus was in the next room. He actually was awake, and he did see who shot him. He was shot once in the head. Um, Ernestine, grandma, she was found in the hallway, having been shot twice in the face, and she was holding a gun. So she she heard what was happening. She got up to defend the family. Fucking Ernestine. I know. She's ready to just get up and fight. I love her. I know. Wow. So, Man. really awful. It's a yeah. family annihilation. It's like three generations of people just gone. Jesus. Um, so, a particularly gruesome detail of this killing. Oh, it's all very gruesome. Is that after Joni, the mom, had been killed, her killer went into the kitchen and grabbed a knife and then stabbed her seven times in the back. Why? It's not clear. It's really, really awful. And afterwards, oh. the killer had covered up the bodies with pillows and sheets. So it's re- it's really really this heinous. Is bizarre. It's really heinous and it's really bizarre. Like yeah. what's going on in this person's mind? Who is this person? It, this was considered the most heinous crime in Bakersfield's history. That's a tough one. <laughs> That's a tough one. Baker, yeah. Bakersfield's. Uh yeah, I would Bakersfield. Hope that for the entire city I know. that nothing worse has happened. This is the worst possible it's thing I can It's probably the worst thing you could think of. Yeah. So they were killed. This was 4th of July weekend on a Sunday. Oh, and I love 4th of July. I know, you know how much it. I love America. I ruined it for you. God. But their bodies weren't discovered until Tuesday, July 8th, 2003. Oh. So it was Joni's friend, Kelsey Spann, who stopped by for a visit and she discovered the bodies. And she called 911. Um, she had a key to the house and she was able to enter um, the house after no one responded when she knocked on the door. Mm-hmm. And so remember that the husband, Vincent Brothers, was away in Columbus, Ohio yeah. when this all happened. In situations like this, do you already know this? It's standard procedure Mm-mm. to um, your first suspect is the spouse. Always. Oh, yes. You knew that. You knew that. Yeah. So I, when I said, uh-uh, it's because you said, do you know this? And my automatic reaction was to go, no. <laughs> <laughs> do you know this story? Have you no, heard this but, story? Oh, yeah, you uh, knew that. I wanted you to know that I actually prepared for this episode today. Tell me. Um, I watched three episodes of the show The Practice. Wow. So I'm um, essentially, it's like having a lawyer. I've never seen The Practice. Um, I just started with season three, so I don't know what happened with season one <laughs> and two. Okay. And uh, only season three is available for streaming. Okay. So I'll only see season three, but so far I'm basically a lawyer and really enjoy it. Good. <laughs> okay. So you can tell me all about legally... I can tell you legalese. Legalese. Okay, got it. (laughs) Yeah. So the husband, he was away in Columbus, Ohio, but, you know, it's standard procedure to look into the spouse. So they want to look into him, find out what's going on with him. Um, This guy better not, but let me down. He's a principal. I know. He's an outstanding guy. I know. 
So, like I said earlier, he was vice principal at the local elementary school, John C. Fremont, and he was really well respected and loved by his students. Like, kids loved him. He was really well liked and loved. Vincent was 42 years old at the time that his family was murdered, and he he was born May 31st, 1962, in Bellport, New York, which is on Long Island. And he was one of 11 children. Damn. Big family. No TV, maybe. No TV? Get bored. Have lots of kids. What does that mean? It means, like... No TV, so I guess we'll just have sex. Oh, got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that a thing? Is that like a... Uh, it's a thing I just made up. Okay. So he... <laughs> they did not... I want to cover that it was not in my law school that I just went to. Yeah, I was wondering it's if that was a, part of your legalese <laughs> no. or not. Okay. No, no. Got it. So Vincent, um, he was described as very kind and gentle. He was soft-spoken and a great role model for the youth in his community. He was raised in poverty, so he had worked hard for the career that he now had as a school administrator. He graduated from college at Norfolk uh, State University in Virginia, and eventually um, he moved to Bakersfield, where he got his master's in education at Cal State University, Bakersfield. Uh, side note, I watched like some videos of him, and he kind of looks and sounds like Cuba Gooding Jr., just a side oh, note. Oh, okay. Like, his voice is kind of like that, like a softer, kind of like a higher pitch sort of, I don't know, just yeah. looks and sounds like him. Did he do a lot of like... Show me the money. Well, that's sorry. what made me I'm think sorry. of it. Yeah. Getting junior. I'm sorry, everyone that's listening. I'm sorry, Stacey, for having to be here. Bad joke. <laughs> Appropriate. <laughs> so, at the scene of the crime, when authorities arrived, they failed to find any weapons. So, they knew it was a, a 22 caliber rifle based on when they later did the ballistics evaluation, all that good stuff. Um, but there was a six and three quarter inch Cutco carving knife missing from the kitchen. And after the brand ass- name, <laughs> brand name, those knives are very sharp. Yes, they and are. And they, um, we have a mutual friend that will say that they never go dull. And she's maybe she thinks she's right, but they will always sharpen your knife for fruit, which makes you think they sometimes go dull. Wow. But once you buy them, they'll come to your house and sharpen your knives. I feel like I don't want people to come and, to my house. And then try and upsell you. Generally. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Knives. Yeah. My mom called me one day and was like, do you want knives? Like this very nice gentleman is here uh, sharpening our knives. And was, I was <laughs> wondering creepy. if you wanted to buy some knives. And I was like, I'm unemployed, so I don't want cut. I mean, I do, but I can't afford to <laughs> I do, knives. but I don't. Thanks, Mom. And after the authorities uh, were called to the scene, they, along with other friends and family members, tried to get a hold of the husband, Vincent, but he wasn't answering his phone. But the authorities wanted to bring him in for questioning anyway, like I said, standard procedure. And the FBI is brought in at this point because, well, likely because of the severity of the crime, because you've got four more people that are killed. And yeah. and also because if, if this husband is going to be a suspect and he's across state lines, um, sometimes in those situations, they'll bring in the FBI. They, they can help with the crossing state line stuff. It's so fascinating. It is interesting. We haven't yeah, gotten to that part of my law school yet. Well, I feel like that's more if you went to the police academy, you would know that. Oh, maybe I went to police <laughs> academy. I'm currently just um, an intern at the practice. Got it. <laughs> Um, So Vincent, he did eventually learn of the killings and that he was wanted by authorities. So he turned himself in. Damn. Just a few days later on July 11th, 2003. Can you imagine? I don't even want to imagine this Mm. poor guy who like, he finds out that his family, his family, like his mother-in-law, his wife, his kids have all been killed. And now he's a suspect who's like wanted by the FBI. Right. Because you didn't answer your phone. (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly. Like, I never answer my phone. It's got to be just the absolute worst. Yeah. Gosh. 
Well, so he turns himself in. He's like, fine, I'll, I'll answer whatever questions you had. Yeah, of course. At this point, he had he had gone from Columbus to he was visiting his mom in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. So he was in North Carolina at this point. That's, I know North Carolina, too, not to brag about my Texas roots, but I also know North Carolina. You know it or you love it? Uh, I, I do enjoy it You've very been much. there one yes. time. No, I've been there a couple times. Okay, you're going again. Yeah. Got Soon. It. Um, people don't stalk Kim. Yeah, I'm not going to tell you where. <laughs> <laughs> so Elizabeth City, North Carolina is about 600 miles southeast of Columbus. So he had rented a car and he driven to, he went from, he and his brother went to go visit their mom. Ooh. And so that's where he was questioned. And when he was interviewed, authorities said he was really distraught, really upset to the point where he was like speaking in gibberish. They like couldn't understand him. Yeah, no shit. He his mother-in-law, wife, and three kids have been killed. Right. And he wasn't making sense and they didn't. They weren't able to get very much information from him. Um, And so a few hours later, they had to release him because there was no evidence to hold him. All they could do was question him because he was potentially a suspect, but they had nothing. Yeah. Um, So the FBI and Bakersfield police, they had to move on to other suspects because there was no evidence against Vincent. So they started looking at who the victims were associated with. Did they have any enemies, any secrets, anything like that? Uh, Ernestine, the grandmother, she had worked with troubled youth and gang members. Remember that? Yeah. And it was surmised that she perhaps, was an angel. Yeah, definitely. But working with working to help people that maybe somebody might have an agenda against her because she's working with troubled people. Um, and it was surmised that perhaps she'd angered someone. They wanted retaliation. Um Back in 1996, she had worked to expose uh, prosecutorial and police misconduct when a Bakersfield teen, his name was Offred Rollins, had been wrongfully accused of raping and murdering his girlfriend. Um, And he was convicted, but then he was exonerated, and she had kind of helped with that. But maybe someone involved with the prosecution or the police department was angry at her. Something, you know, it could be related to that crime. They were looking at just every possibility. And Ernestine had often told friends that she feared for her safety and wanted her home where she lived with her daughter to be more secure. And so according to a local paper, also Joni, um, the mom, uh, had told her hairdresser that she was looking to move to a gated community where she and her mother and children might feel safer. Oh, wow. So they were fearing for their safety. So Joni was looking for a safer place for her and her mother to live because... Mm -hmm. Uh, her and Vincent actually were separated at this time. And he wasn't living there. He had to get his own apartment and he was living nearby. Okay. But they were still married and he would still come and visit and they were trying to work things out. But so investigators started looking at him though just because they still had no other leads to follow. And there were witnesses to prove that he had been in Columbus, Ohio, including his brother named Melvin Brothers. Brother named Brothers. (laughs) Um, He told investigators that his brother had been with him the whole time Vincent had flown to Columbus on Wednesday, July 2nd, and he rented a car during his stay so he could also take a drive down to North Carolina with his brother to visit his mom a few days later. The rental car company provided information about the vehicle, including that it was a blue Dodge Neon and that it had been rented and returned by Vincent Brothers. And credit card purchases and cell phone records also proved that he was in Columbus, Ohio. As authorities are pursuing leads on July 12th, a funeral is held for the five family members. And um, Vincent, he flies right in to attend the funeral. It's really sad. He's very distraught the whole time. Months go by and there's still no suspects. Damn. But authorities are looking at Vincent. They're really looking at him. They're trying. He was literally gone. (laughs) Right. This is not a situation like... 
Bakersfield to Barstow. Right. It's not like an hour drive. But investigators decide they're going to track him and follow his every move and watch everything that he does. And so a few months after, he sold his house and two of his three cars. Mm -hmm. And authorities thought he might be trying to leave the state by doing something like this. So we're going to arrest him because he's a flight risk. So they arrest him. On April 30th, 2004. I don't know if I'm going to be like shooting myself in the foot here, but I just feel like this guy just lost his whole family. I think if that was me, I would also want to leave the state. Right. I would not need cars. So on April 30th, 2004, this is almost a year after Vincent is arrested. Why was he arrested? Sorry. He was arrested because he had sold his house and those vehicles. Okay. And so it looked to them like he was already a suspect to them, Mm -hmm. but now he's gone and done something that makes him look like he is guilty and wants to flee the state. Okay. So now they want to hold him and try to build a case against him. Okay. Essentially. So an arraignment later that same day is held. He pleaded not guilty to five counts of murder and a special circumstances allegation of multiple homicide. The special circumstances law in California is a means to get a defendant a death penalty sentence. Oh, okay. So just saying like he killed five people, um, that doesn't necessarily mean that down the line he's going to get the death penalty. If you add a special <laughs> just circumstance. Just saying you killed five people doesn't mean you're like a bad guy. Yeah, it doesn't mean like anything, <laughs> really. Yeah, so that's that's why they tacked that on. Authorities believe they had they had information to uh, begin a trial against Vincent. So at trial, the prosecution, led by Deputy District Attorney Lisa Green, she was going to have a hard time building a case without any murder weapons, right? Yeah, because they'd never been recovered. Um, What's your like (laughs) your prosecution? Your prosecutorial? You should know. I listen. You watch the practice. I've been watching the practice (laughs) starting season three, episode two. Uh, What's your prosecutorial, not not a word, opening statement? (laughs) That was a lot. That was a lot. (laughs) Uh, Who here has sold a house? Raise your hand if you sold a house. Great. One, two, three, four. Nine of you sold a house. Nine of you are accused of murder. (laughs) You sell a house, you're accused of murder. You sell a house and you sell two cars, triple accused of murder. Well, I'm getting heated up. I'll now. tell you about this case. I'll I'm tell gonna, you what happened. I feel like this is all coming back. Bad news. It's bears all coming back. Style. Bad news. Bears. Okay. So in 2007, on February 21st, after Vincent has been sitting in the Kern County Jail for three years, Damn. his trial begins. Yeah. So he's sitting in there for three years. At trial, the defense, led by his attorney Michael Gardina, he had a compelling argument. Vincent had been nowhere near the crime scene. There was no clear motive for killing his own family, and there were no murder weapons. That's. Right. It seems like an open and shut case. Like this guy was (laughs) literally in a different state. Right. Had rented a car, Mm -hmm. had credit card transactions. Yep. And had witnesses. Yes. So the defense even began coming up with their own list of suspects who could have done this, including literally anybody, anybody, (laughs) including the friend who had found the bodies, Kelsey Spann. I don't think Kelsey. I don't like Kelsey for this. Okay, so Vincent's That's lawyer talk. Vincent's defense team had ordered the prosecution to deliver all evidence they had in relation to a lesbian affair they believed Kelsey had had with the victim, Joni Harper Brothers. Whoa, which twist. Is, yeah, which is crazy. They believed that Joni had been involved with Kelsey intimately, but ultimately wanted to end things, and this gave Kelsey motive for the slangs. Edna Fisher, she was a person who went to church uh, with the Harpers. She said it was well known that Joni Harper and Kelsey Spann, quote, had something going, end quote. Ooh, were they canoodling? I don't know. They had something going. Um, 
I don't, I, I don't know. Yeah, what but, do you think? You, I mean, well, you don't know. I think that stabbing is a more, and again, <laughs> only from watching cop shows <laughs> do I, am I aware that stabbing is more of like a personal thing. You're right. It is. So it's interesting to me that only Joni was stabbed and that she was, it's interesting that she was stabbed just on its own. Right. And like seven times. It's like clearly anger and it's directed at her. Yeah. And only at her. And so the defense is thinking, well, maybe it was this supposed girlfriend who was angry at her. Um, was the defense a man? Ain't that just like a man? To think? <laughs> oh, here come the ladies with their emotions. It was a man. Um, but, God dang it. And before her death, <laughs> Joni Harper had confessed to a pastor in front of the, in front of the church that, uh, quote, she had sinned and that she was going to put a close to that part of her life and the stuff she was doing. That she was going to change her lifestyle and only serve her family and God, end quote. That makes me so sad. So it's like, was she talking about having a lesbian affair? That's what the the defense is trying to say, that, you know, maybe somebody else has motive. Since Kelsey, uh, this friend, she also had a key to the house. And the crime scene had shown no signs of forced entry. Whoever uh, went into the house to commit these killings, they probably had a key And so Kelsey had a key, so it kind of seemed like maybe it was her. Mm -hmm. But as the trial went on, information began to come out, and even in the months leading up to the trial, that was painting a really different portrait of Vincent, the soft-spoken and kind-hearted elementary school administrator. No. Vincent? I stuck up for you? (laughs) Damn it, Vincent! (laughs) You suck! You don't even know what I'm going to say. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Vincent, he had been married twice before. Mm-hmm. And then it was a girlfriend named uh, Shan Kern in June of 1988 who had claimed physical abuse. And Vincent, he was convicted and actually served six days in jail in 1988 <sighs> for this. I, you know what? I'm doubling down on this. Ooh, you suck. Yeah. Ooh, you suck. Ooh, double. Double down. Yes. Shan, she said that he had beaten her up when she was pregnant, leaving her with two black eyes. And they did have a child together, um, a daughter named Margaret Kern. Um, and she was born in 1988. So, just a couple years before me. Wait. <laughs> just a couple years? Uh, like Not 10 like years a decade? Me. Okay, got it. <laughs> Full decade. So one of Vincent's previous wives, um, she said that he was, quote, violent and had threatened to kill her. Things Um, are not looking great for Vincent. They're not. Turns out Vincent had repeatedly been accused of not only physical but sexual abuse against women. He was a known womanizer and repeatedly cheated on his wives, including Joni. Turns out Vincent is an asshole. Yeah, Vincent ain't good. Yeah. In 1996, he was accused of sexual misconduct at his school by a staff member. (sighs) But the misconduct was covered up by the administration because Vincent was, quote, a role model in this community. Um, No. Well, the respected vice principal, he was known for helping troubled students turn their lives around. And it was really beneficial to have someone like that working at their school because he really could speak to the kids and make a change and make difference. You know what's tough about that? Yeah. Is his misconduct wasn't against a kid. Right. Right. Yeah. No. So then it's tough because you're like, he's really good. For these kids. Yeah. Like, this is genuinely helping and it's doing a service for the community. Yeah. So the fact that you're a complete asshole. Right. But then he is also like has been accused of spousal abuse. So then also go fuck yourself. Well, it's like they're drawing a line. They're saying we don't care if women get 
abused, yeah. but just, it's, he's helping and saving children. That's so a pickle. It's worth it. Seems like you <laughs> could probably find somebody who is not yes. a garbage human being yes. that is just as good for kids. Right. Like if you just, I don't know, l- looked a little <laughs> just bit. Just looked a little harder. Yeah. So this 1996 incident, um, the woman, her name remained anonymous. It occurred when Vincent was working at Emerson Middle School, which is also in Bakersfield. This was before he'd been promoted to vice principal at the elementary school. The female employee said she had visited Vincent's home when he dragged her into his bedroom and took pictures of her. Ugh. And she tried to call the police, but he yanked the phone away. So she got in her car and just like drove away. Um, She's so lucky. Yeah. The woman also said in um, district school records that Vincent caressed her hip while she was working at the front desk of the school. Ew! And she I don't en- like this guy. She ended up taking a leave of absence due to the misconduct. She said um, he had also been making threatening phone calls to her, and she felt that she was in a hostile work environment because of this. When the matter was investigated, the woman, she was strongly advised not to pursue her claims, warning her that she would lose if she were to try to, you know, take him to court or whatever. Um, and they would ask her leading questions like, are you sure you want to do this? And so they basically just silenced her. And whether or not those, you know, uh, what he did was true. I mean, Vincent, he was never punished for his actions. A memo stated, quote, of course. He, he was advised very strongly that this could jeopardize his future career in education if any of these allegations were accurate. Mr. Brothers denied the allegations. So they didn't investigate. They didn't really do much. And um, there's no record that he was disciplined. And um, in fact, the school district actually refused to release these records that I'm telling you about because they said since he'd never been disciplined, the records don't matter because it, it wasn't, they didn't believe anything had happened. There was no proof that anything had happened. So they weren't going to release the documents. But a subsequent lawsuit by a newspaper called the Bakersfield Californian ended up with an appeals court releasing those documents. Good for them. So good job, journalists who are good for America. Yeah. And there's a reason that um, having a free press is in the Constitution. Journalists uh, can do a lot of good. They can do a lot of bad. There are, oh, yeah. There's definitely journalists that, you know, uh, aren't there's, doing their job the way they should. But listen, it's 2018. Facts don't matter. Facts do not We're matter. We're living in a world where facts are just... Um, just words. It's, yeah, just words. <laughs> Anything can be a fact. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. So Vincent's history of abuse toward women was evident, and his marriage to Joni, of course, it struggled based on this you know, history. Those that knew her said she was really religious, and she just wanted that traditional family, husband and wife. You know, they have three kids. She really just wanted that, you know. And when she became pregnant with their first child, Marcus, uh, Marcus Juwan, in 1998, they decided to marry, and that was two years later on January 5th, 2000. This is how they started out. But the marriage suffered immediately with the filing for an annulment coming very shortly thereafter on February 23rd, 2000. I think an annulment is... I'm fascinated by them. Me too. They're because, like... It's like, doesn't count. <laughs> it's like, and it's weird to me that the weirdest part of an annulment yeah. is that unless maybe I'm just thinking about TV mm. or movies, mm-hmm. but if you sleep together, yeah. you can't get an annulment. Right. They say that. It's so old-fashioned. But these two obviously did. They ha- already had Why a child Why can't you just together. lie, though? I'm sure you could. I mean, They can't because they she's pregnant. They can't because they had a child. Yeah. Um, but yeah, <laughs> it, it is interesting. It seems so silly. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, but, you know, so they filed for an annulment, and um, it that was finalized in September of 2001. Their marriage was officially 
over and annulled. But Vincent and Joni, they still remained close. Um, and Joni got pregnant again. And she gave Very birth. close. She gave birth to their daughter, Lindsay Michelle, on August 5th, 2000. That's the sweetest little name. I know, so sweet. Um, but the couple, though they were divorced, family and friends said that by 2003, they had actually run off uh, to Vegas to secretly get remarried. They're like, let's try this again. <laughs> Bad idea. Bad well, idea. Uh, I don't want to judge. I don't know. For just, them, it seems like for them, not it's a great a terrible idea. idea. What are you doing? Family and friends said it was a secret little marriage. I looked it up because you know how I do. Not that secret, I guess. Not that secret. I found their uh, marriage record, um, and they did indeed <laughs> get married in Vegas on January twenty fifth, two thousand three. Nothing's a secret. I could never get secretly married. Um, it depends on the state. So you'd find out though. Yeah, I would. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Because I'm always, well, I mean, I have cameras in your house. Wait, or, what? am I supposed to tell you that? Oh. No. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> um, yeah, so their marriage record said they got married January 25th, 2003, which is, that was the same day they got married in 2000, January 25th. How sweet and romantic, right? They're going to start over. <laughs> is that the boo one? Yeah, it's, it's like a boo. kind of. It's hard to tell. Yeah, these because two also not, like you know, it's hard to tell what's going on with them too. Right, but it doesn't. I don't know. Seem it's like some it's sick. A good idea. Something sick is going on between these two. Yeah. And on May twenty third, two thousand three, Marshall James was born. Remember, he was the baby. Yeah. And of course, the murders happened only two months after that. Um. So they were married, but they were separated okay. at this point. Um. In court, several women testified to having affairs with Vincent while he was married to Joni, including a woman named Esther Quiroz, who said she was intimate with him in 2000 and 2001. The prosecution also brought in a woman named Carla Tafoya, the principal of Franklin Elementary School, and she testified that she had an on and off again affair with Vincent beginning in 1997. And he had even proposed to her in 1998, and she said yes but eventually ended the relationship when she heard rumors that he was actually with another woman named Joni. Okay, hang on. Yes. Stacey, I'm going to stop you right there. <laughs> We're going to do a mid-show break okay. for... From Hollywood, it's time for... Corner! <laughs> Here it comes. Here it is. Um, I'm going to quote a family member of mine yes. who had a very important thing to say about cheaters, <laughs> which was, once a cheater always a cheater if he cheated on you yes he will cheat on you again yeah if he cheated with you he will cheat on you yeah just that's a fact that's smart that's smart so i don't care <laughs> if you guys are in love and you're soulmates but you just you're with other people and it's so hard don't cheat yeah just think to yourself like if you're thinking right now <laughs> Oh, my God. But I I was the exception. You are not the exception. <laughs> you, it, it just, if he doesn't cheat on you, and I say he because... Men, I, men be cheating. Men be cheating. <laughs> if, 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 if this person does not cheat on you, yeah. um, they want to. Yeah. They're just, like, somehow not able to. Right. But they're, they really want to. I think it's good advice. Just don't... Don't be... Don't be involved with somebody. Don't be involved with somebody who's cheating. Yes. Or like, no, but he, they really love... No, I'm no. sure they really love you. But guess what? They also really love 
cheating. Right. So just, I'm sorry. And like, maybe if you're thinking right now, oh, I don't know, Kim, this is a really harsh Kim's Corner. You're thinking that because you want to get with somebody who would have to be cheating to get with you. Like, just let, if they want to cheat, it's because something is wrong with their relationship. Let that situation fizzle out. True. And then, then pursue. Yeah. So that nobody's cheating so that you can still have what you want, but you don't have to hurt somebody else in the process. Do you really want to have to explain to your friends? Like, oh, God. No. Well, yeah. Okay. Oh, yes. Oh. I know that he was together, uh, like, but they're they're breaking up and, oh, no, I'm really the one. And then you're going to have to explain to your friend later why you got cheated on. <laughs> Kim's very passionate about this. Once a cheater, always a cheater. If he cheated on you, he'll cheat on you again. If he cheated with you, he'll cheat on you. Kim's been married three times. Every marriage <laughs> ended cheated with on cheating. Every single time. <laughs> um, and that was Kim's corner. <laughs> well done. Thank you. So when Carla was proposed to and she found out, you know, you're with this other chick named Joni that you might have impregnated. Now she ended it. Good for you. But they rekindled their affair later no, on. Good for you. <laughs> by August Carla, 2002. Carla, go back to Kim's Corner. <laughs> sit in Kim's Corner for a minute and think about what you've done. So by August 2002... She decided to end things, but then they started back up again, and she testified that that was in May of 2003. So Vincent had told these women, and there were multiple other women they put on the stand, that he'd had affairs with both before, during, and after Joni, or well, after they were married, and then when they were married, and whatnot. Um, He told these women that he was having affairs with that he doubted that all three of the children were his. He thought maybe Joni was cheating on him. No, you're a garbage human being. They're all your kids. (laughs) You just suck. Well, so in response to this at trial, the prosecution ordered DNA tests to prove whether or not the three children were his, and they all were. Good, because my girl Joni was not cheating on you. You're just, you suck. Joni's a pretty upstanding citizen. She was, that's my opinion. County Prosecutor Lisa Green, she made the argument that Vincent Brothers, in fact, did have motive to kill his family. And that was to pursue relationships with other women and to relieve himself of the financial burden of his children. Because Joni, according to friends and relatives, was planning to divorce him and sue him for child support. And three kids, that's that's quite the uh, child support check. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so Vincent, not only is he starting to sound like a real garbage human being, mm-hmm. but he sounds stupid, too, because what, you're, you're going to kill somebody, and that's going to be your, like, now I can have all the relationships. Yeah. Because no one will catch me. Yeah. You're going to get caught. He must have felt so, dumb. so trapped. I feel like people who go to the extent of committing murder, they are so blinded by how upset and trapped they feel. They're like, there's literally nothing else I can do. Yeah. Which is just stupidity also. Yeah. Um, and the prosecution began laying out their case against Vincent. Um, now, my question to you, Kim, is do you, do you still think that he went from Ohio all the way to Bakersfield and committed these murders. I don't know how that happened, but I'm so mad at him for because, being just such a garbage guy. I mean, just because he's a he cheated on her. It doesn't make him a murderer. No. Right? I, yeah. Remember in Kim's Corner, we didn't say they're a murderer. We said they're a cheater. <laughs> he's a garbage human. <laughs> yeah, he's garbage. <laughs> this guy sucks, but I don't know. Do you have a theory as to how he could have... I mean, if it was possible, I mean, the prosecution's gonna have to build a case against him. What could they possibly say? I don't know. From my law uh, practice, 
in the, the practice. You mean in your viewing of the show, The Practice? <laughs> in my law school, mm-hmm. um, what Dylan McDermott talked about a lot. <laughs> <laughs> my professor McDermott would talk about. Um, I don't know. Part of me is like, oh, I guess he could have, he did rent that car, but then didn't he like went with his brother. Right. So I don't really know how. And there's credit card receipts and cell phone records. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know how he did it, but I don't like him. And as Professor Mannheim would say, I like him for this murder. (laughs) (laughs) So the prosecution began laying out their case, saying that when they checked with the rental car company that had rented him that blue Dodge Neon in Ohio, the vehicle showed excessive mileage on the odometer. Vincent. Kim's face. (laughs) Oh, could you? But then wasn't he? Okay, go on. Well, what? Ask it. Wasn't he with his brother? Okay, well, I'll have an answer to that in a moment. Okay, great. (laughs) According to their records, the rental company, um, the car had been driven over 4,500 miles during the time that Vincent had it, Um, meaning that it was feasible that he could have driven from Ohio to Bakersfield and back. Dang, that's a shitty drive. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't want to say that because I love road trips, and that's actually a lovely drive. After you've just killed your whole family? Sure, sounds fun. Well, on the way. (laughs) On the way way to going to kill your entire family sounds like a hoot. You know, I'm starting to think that you don't like road trips. (laughs) (laughs) I like road trips. Okay. With with the right company. With the right company and the right reason. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. That's it. Yeah. And, okay, so those credit card and cell phone records Mm -hmm. video surveillance showed that vincent's credit card had indeed been used at many different locations in columbus ohio but not by him by his brother melvin (gasps) melvin you have such a innocent sounding name i know his brother used the card multiple times and even signed his brother every time melvin and for the cell phone um, records showed that the phone had never left ohio that was all it showed oh you stink Mm mm-hmm Calls? Maybe he didn't know what he was doing. Who, Melvin? Yeah. I, you know, to, to that extent, I'm not sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, calls were made to and from that cell phone, but there was no proof as to who made the calls from Vincent's phone. Um, if his brother Melvin had been willing to cover him for him and use his credit card, maybe he was willing to use his cell phone a couple times. Something else that the prosecution um, brought into evidence um, was that the assailant had left behind a piece of a glove. So kind of like the end of a fingertip of a glove was left behind at the scene. And it was like a black glove. And when tested, it matched to Vincent Brothers' fingerprint. (laughs) Right? How does the tip... That's so weird. Just I guess just that small amount, they're able to match it. But the the defense argued that Vincent used to live in that house, so his DNA and fingerprints would be all over the house. I mean, I know me personally, I live in my house, (laughs) and there are tips of gloves every... I can't walk through a room without finding, like, oh, shit, there's a piece of my glove somewhere. I know, me too. (laughs) So, okay, now this is the most interesting part of this story. It's pretty interesting already. Pretty interesting. The prosecution next brought in an entomologist to further their case. What's that, for bugs? Good. <gasps> Thanks, Bones. <laughs> it's actually um, the study of entomans, my favorite pastry treats. <laughs> <laughs> she loves it. She loves it. <laughs> Listen, I got a couple of good ones. A couple of good <laughs> <That's> jokes. Good. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> um, 
so the FBI had taken... I'm just picturing somebody who went to school for like seven years post-grad. Yeah. <laughs> Entomans. <laughs> Entomologist. Uh, this ho-ho clearly originated from the Georgia plant. <laughs> Ho-hos are hostess. Get oh, your, I'm sorry. Get your brands right. Okay. What are you doing? I don't know. So the FBI had taken apart the rental car and they brought in the radiator and air filter to USC Davis's Bohart Museum of Entomology where they then asked director Lynn Kimsey, a professor of entomology, to identify the insects that she found on the car parts. This is brilliant. Right? It, I love this prosecutor. She does not mess around. Oh, yeah, no way. So it turned out the insect evidence corroborated with the mileage on the vehicle, um, which had to have been driven west. How could they know Damn. this? Kimsey, when she testified, said that several insect species picked from the car parts um, could only be found in the West, and one was abundant in California. They included a large grasshopper, a paper wasp, and two what are called true bugs. <laughs> I know, it's like weird. A, tr- a true bug is a wingless or four-winged insect in the order Hemiptera with mouth parts adapted for piercing and sucking. Ew. And also, either wingless or four wings. I know, I, I know. I just, I feel like that is a wide... Uh, <laughs> you, that's ridiculous. So wingless also, or four Also, like, wing. nobody can get away with murder anymore. No. Just, like, don't even bother. Straight up looking at bugs. You're never going to get away with it. No. Stop murdering. For other reasons also, but also because you're it's not going to get away gonna with get it. you're going to get caught. So the grasshopper is found in the Great Plains and the eastern slope of the Rockies. And the paper wasps territory is west of the 100th meridian with California as its center of abundance. Um, in addition, she said that the two true bugs are also found only in the west. Both are found in Southern California, Arizona, and Utah. Um, she also said that she and her team had found no butterflies, no painted ladies, no sulfur butterflies, which what do you think that might indicate? Did not go to North Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> that indicated that the car wasn't driven during the day, only oh. at night. Isn't that interesting? It's weird that something's called a sulfur butterfly. That sucks. Probably stinks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the insects they had found, they said, were consistent with two major routes to get to California from the east. Um, so these entomologist nerds, they came to court, <laughs> they came to court prepared with a five hour PowerPoint. Wow. They were probably so excited. <laughs> I know. They were like, this is all I've been waiting. Like, it's like if somebody called me and was like, ring, ring. Kim, the only way we can prove this murder is if you can tell us every single episode of One Tree Hill. I'd be like, Yes. yes. <laughs> I know. It's amazing. I feel like this has to be the highlight of these people's lives. Yeah. These freaking nerds. I love it. Oh, good for them. Um, So the defense, in response to this, they brought in their own entomologists. They brought in three entomologists from Purdue University and one from the University of Illinois who claimed the insects could actually have been found in many parts of the U.S., but the jury wasn't buying that. No. I just picture, like, somebody (laughs) on the stand being like, actually... (laughs) Um, um, I don't think they had a five-hour PowerPoint, no. so... No, um, The defense, though, they were so confident in their client's innocence that they made the very dangerous decision to put their client on the stand. 
you, it's not a wise move. No, it's in not. This, it's really it's really rare that it happens, especially for such a serious crime, because you don't know your client could get up there and just crumble under the pressure or say one thing or not have a tear at the right moment, and the jury is going to just hate them. This guy sounds like such a dinkus. He's going to get up to the stand <laughs> and, like, dinkus. wink at somebody in the jury. <laughs> like, <laughs> Maybe. That's it. <laughs> So Vincent appeared sympathetic at times. He was crying and speaking really kindly of his deceased family. Like I said, he kind of sounds and looks like Cuba Gooding Jr. Picture Cuba Gooding Jr. just like, just sweet talking. And like, you really, you're believing his story. I can picture that. (laughs) Okay. But other times he came off as kind of callous to the jury because he was asked about his affairs with other women. And he spoke about them without any emotion, talking about sexual encounters that he'd had. So it was kind of like... It kind of worked for him, but it also kind of didn't. And then the defense, they had something else up their sleeve that they wanted to use as evidence proving Vincent Brothers was innocent, proving that he was in Ohio at the time of the murders. They brought two witnesses to the stand who testified that they had witnessed a minor car accident where a driver looking just like Vincent Brothers um, had hit a child on a bike, but the child, he was okay. He got up and went on his way. This accident, according to police records, had happened at 7 p.m. on July 6, 2003, which was the exact same day and maybe time of the killings. So now we have witnesses saying they saw Vincent driving that, driving that rental car and they saw an accident where he hit some kid on a bike. But did they see Vincent or did they see Melvin? <laughs> oh, good question. They're brothers. They're brothers. Yeah. Okay. Well, the witnesses, they said they saw somebody that could have been Vincent. They never actually ID'd him. Mm. But also, like, how is there such a specific story? Yeah. It, It makes you think, like, wait, like, maybe he was in Ohio. Like, maybe he didn't. It makes me think, like, wait. Maybe those people are full of shit. <laughs> yeah, but they're witnesses testifying. They're they're they wouldn't go perjure themselves on the stand. No, but I do feel like it's possible they saw Melvin. Okay, interesting. Just because they're brothers, they're related, and they don't. Okay. These people don't know right Melvin or Vincent. Yeah, and they never ID'd Vincent. Yeah, they said it looked like him. Well, with this new bombshell, the prosecution, they sent investigators out to Ohio immediately to follow up on all of this because they're like, whoa, we need to disprove this right now. Yeah. And they came back with a witness of their own. Ooh. This was a man named Tomba Lebby. Tomba? Tomba. T-A-M-B-A. Okay. Or Tamba? Tomba? Um, He was an African-American man with darker skin than Vincent's who claimed he was actually the one driving that car who hit that kid on the bike. They found They found this guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Record scratch. Totally. So he stated his license plate number of the car he was driving, and it matched the police record because there was a police report of this incident. The witnesses that had been brought to the stand by the defense, they never did identify Vincent as the driver. In fact, one witness said the driver had lighter skin, but Tomba had much darker skin. So it sounds like these witnesses aren't very reliable either which way. they probably weren't certain that they would be called to like a murder trial. I know. All the way in Bakersfield, because these people live in Ohio. Yeah. Yeah, so... Now they're like trying to, they got to hear about bugs and it's I know they got to watch a five hour PowerPoint. They to go to the grocery store. They had claimed they had seen a blue car hit the bike, but the police report from that day um, noted a green vehicle and that's what Tomba Levy was driving. Mm-hmm. I know how you feel about witness. Um, Wh- eyewitness. How do I feel about it? You don't like it. I don't like it. It's yeah. unreliable. Yeah. Okay. So Kim, how do you make sense of this whole car accident thing? What do you think? Like what, like... 
to me, that was the strangest part of this trial. I That's mean, weird. The entomology thing was pretty strange. No, it's like, pretty great. That's <laughs> a highlight of their life. I'm happy for <laughs> oh, them. Oh, for sure. Yeah. My theory is that the defense was so desperate to get anything to prove that um, Vincent was in Ohio that they poured through police reports that day in Columbus, Ohio, found something, a black man driving a green vehicle. Green could look like blue. Mm-hmm. This black man, you know, Vincent is black. Let's just, I'm going to, now I'm going to coach my client and tell him what to say, everything from the police report, because Vincent actually, when he testified, he said that he had committed this, he had hit the kid on the bike, and that he returned later and spoke with a paramedic who was there, and that's exactly what was on the police report. That's what Tomba said he did. That's perjury. It absolutely is. But that's just my theory that that's what the lawyer did, and if that's true, that's insanely, like, immoral. Yeah, to coach your client to lie on the stand. But defense attorneys sometimes will do whatever it takes to get... Especially, now here's the other thing, I'm not meaning to defend it, but this is a death penalty trial. So if you think that this is going to save a man's life and he's not going to be put on death row, maybe you're going to do whatever you think it takes because you believe he's innocent. You know, so I don't know. I'm not going to speak for, I feel like being a defense attorney is a really, really hard job. Yeah. Um, But I don't know. I feel like also there's some just shady lawyers out there. I don't know. That's just my theory. It's tough. (laughs) It's tough. It is tough tough because there are some shady lawyers out there, but also um, trying to think to put myself in the lawyer's shoes. Yeah. If I thought that my client was innocent and this was kind of the lot, you're grasping at straws. Right. But I'm theorizing that this lawyer did something shady. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's fair to theorize, I think. (laughs) But all in all, after a five-month trial... On May 15th, 2007, the jury came back with a verdict. What do you think? Guilty. Oh, God. You ready to hit a sound effect? Yeah. You think you know. I do think Oh, Kim. Oh, no. Um, he was guilty. Throwing him in jail. Lock him up. He was guilty of all five counts of first-degree murder and the special circumstance of committing multiple murder. So he's guilty of that as well, meaning mm-hmm. he, for his sentencing, he's going to be up for the death penalty, and during his sentencing, the jury, they deliberated for less than two hours, and they came back with a death death sentence. Vincent Brothers currently sits on death row at San Quentin. Like our episode last week, I'll say that he probably won't be executed anytime soon, because that's mm-hmm. kind of how it is here in California. Um, people, no one's been executed since 2006, but nonetheless, he is locked up. Bye. Bye. So what do you think about that whole story? That is a tragedy. Yeah. A hundred percent. I think this guy, Vincent, deserves to sit on death row forever. I have my own personal thoughts about death row. I feel like this guy deserves to spend every day for the rest of his miserable, shitty life to just think about what awful, heinous crimes he did. And I hope bad things happen to him in prison because I've heard that when other criminals find out that you hurt children... It's worse for you. Yeah, you get messed up. Yeah. And you should. You killed a six-week-old baby. Yeah, you're, you're, you're not even, like... You're just... You're, you're just... You're inexcusable and unredeemable. Human... Human... And I, I, it's hard, like, I want to clarify what I mean by unredeemable because, there's, like, it's hard for me to be like, you're unredeemable. Yeah. But there's so many people in prison that deserve to be reformed and deserve the chance to come yeah. back and... and integrate into society again and learn from their mistakes but this guy not this guy no no 
No. I totally agree. Yeah. That was the other part of, so what he was, um, uh, I watched a, like a, one of those crime shows where they interviewed the FBI profiler that they had hired for this case. And he noted that, like you said, stabbing Joni seven times after she's dead, that's literally overkill. Yeah. But also somebody has a personal vendetta against her. He's angry at her. But then also like putting, he put like a pillow over the six week old baby and then like a sheet over the other bodies. Because he, even though he had committed this crime in like such a cold-blooded way, there was still this emotional connection to these people and he didn't want to look at what he'd done. Yeah. When, I mean, when, when the FBI like profiler was breaking it down, you know? So yeah. it, it makes sense. I just feel like it makes sense that he did this. I do believe um, that there is circumstantial evidence because even like the bugs and the mileage on the car and like maybe mm-hmm. some of that stuff's inaccurate, whatever, but I feel like he had enough motive And based on the way he killed them, I think, I don't know, I think he did it. Totally. All right, so Kim, this one I kind of tricked you, but I had to. You did. I had to trick you. Yeah, I feel bad about every nice thing I said about this guy. I was worried that you immediately would suspect him. No, I really didn't. Because I kept the womanizing stuff until a little bit later, just so that I could, you know. You like Um, to trick me. I know, and it's just, uh, I like to trick you. I want to psych you out. So Kim, final thoughts. Okay, I have two final thoughts. One of them is kind of obscure. Hmm. It's been a while since we talked about her, but the friend that walked in, yes, that they um, Kelsey. thought Kelsey mm-hmm. that they thought maybe was having an affair with her. Yes, um, I really hope that that I don't know quite what I want to say, except for it really sucks mm-hmm. that um, people thought that she was having an affair. And so simply because of that, they were like, she's a suspect. Right. That's a real bummer. At any time in our uh, timeline of just being humans. But also, like, 2003 just seems so recent. And that really sucks that just because people thought that they may have had a relationship, she was... Well, if she'd had And that she was... Like, that they were having a lesbian relationship was thought of like well then she probably murdered her because right. you know how women are and like that's just is a bummer i just and i i think i mentioned this not last week because i was very bummed out last week <laughs> i'm bummed out every week so Always. it's not like and this you know last week was especially i think it was just scarier it did scare um, me. i know it did but i have mentioned this in the past and i just want to remind everybody that just just because I'm talking about other shows besides chicago pd <laughs> doesn't mean that chicago pd is not my number one. Oh, yeah so you're you're wanting to make it clear that Chicago PD is your number one. Uh, yeah. C- got number it. one show, period? No. Oh, okay. But number one, like, cop show or legal show or anything like that, yes. So I, I just want to remind everybody to watch Chicago PD on, on NBC or on Hulu. I feel like... Preferably need- on Hulu. Get your subscription. Pay yeah. for it. Pay for the most expensive su- subscription. <laughs> the top tier. Yeah. No ads. <laughs> yeah. Live streaming television. Yeah. Um... Shout out to Hulu. Thanks for being a sponsor. Yeah, thanks. (laughs) I feel like I should watch an episode of Chicago PD and then... Watch an early episode. And critique it hard. No, you're not going to be able to. (laughs) (laughs) You're insane. Yeah. Oh, God. All right. Uh, Said it. All right. Well, if you want to (laughs) talk to me about Chicago PD or the practice 
um, bringing that into rotation now. <laughs> um, only season three, though. Okay. <laughs> you can get at us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and .com at Kim Knows Nothing. We'll have links to all sorts of stuff, including the information that Stacey has uh, researched for this week's episode and supplemental materials. Indeed. And on your podcast app, specifically if you're using iTunes or an iPhone, mm-hmm. get on there and hit however many stars you think we deserve. Preferably five. Preferably five. If you want to give us one, listen, I appreciate the honesty. If you feel so inclined, you can write us a review, but in the iTunes like podcast app, all you got to do is tap on the star that you feel like we deserve and your, your review has been submitted. Mm-hmm. So please take the time. Much appreciated. And thanks for listening. We love you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.